A sense of belonging is something humans need if they're going to commit themselves to more than just simple selfishness. A sense of belonging is something managers need if they're going to hand the company over to a successor in at least the same health they received it in. That's what good stewardship looks like. I think it's terribly important to insist on individual values. Learning culture podcast. Initiative, creation, all these things which we value. It's now possible to make organizations on a larger scale than it was ever possible before. Learning culture podcast. Teach people to analyze the kind of things that are said to them. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Learning Culture Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Barry. And this week, we have a special one-on-one episode with yours truly. So I hope you enjoy the sound of my voice because today we will be exploring together some of the lessons that I've learned from a book called The Living Company by Ari de Geyers. Ari de Geyers was a... Dutch business executive um, who who did an incredible amount of research with his team. I'll get into this in, in more detail in the episode, um, but he did some research into companies that have lasted for longer than his, which um, he worked at Shell and Shell was 100 years old at the time. So these are companies that have been around for an incredible amount of time and have displayed longevity, sustainability, and he wanted to unpack why that was the case. So we'll be exploring that in this episode, and I'll also be talking about the concept of stewardship and how that was one of the um, the, the, the research, the, the findings from the research that they discovered, um, but it's it also ties into our work on shared, uh, shared vision, shared assumptions, shared stories, shared experiences, um, all captured within this idea of shared values and how important those are in creating a sense of belonging. Um, and finally, I think we'll we'll touch on a topic that is um, very much top of mind for me these days on tacit knowledge and converting that into explicit knowledge, which is something that um, I think a lot of companies are struggling with. And um, I will start to touch on that topic. I'll probably do another whole episode on that one as well, because it is definitely very popular. So with that said, let us dive into the research, the lessons and the stories behind the living company. Okay, so some real talk here first. The, the flood of tech startup layoffs that we've seen since COVID-19 has really gotten me thinking more and more about this topic. Uh, when you look at the data, and there's a, a really, really great website called layoffs.fyi, and someone has done a fantastic job there of of sorting all the uh, collecting the data for all the companies that have laid people off in the tech sort of startup ecosystem. And you, you look down that, I mean, it's, it's quite astounding. You've got companies like, uh, so the top one is actually a Turkey, tur- Turkey based company um, called Getir. They let, they laid off 4,500 people back in May of this year, 2022. Um, that was 14% of their workforce. Booking.com, which has had an incredible success run, an Amsterdam-based company, laid off 4,400 people in July of 2020, so when COVID was was just starting. It was a quarter of their workforce. Uber has laid off 
over 6,000 people actually in two different layoffs uh, that were two weeks apart back in May of 2020. Um, I mean, the list just goes on. You can go check it out at that. Peloton, another one that jumps out at me, a company that did exceptionally well during COVID, laid off 2,800 people in February of this year. That was 20% of their workforce. So go check that out. These companies like Carvana, Katera, Zillow, Airbnb, Instacart, uh, just so many of them. And what that to me points to is some of the cracks that these companies have always had, but were papered over by the success of the years leading up to COVID. So one of those big cracks for me is the ridiculous hiring sprints that these companies went on. I was part of a startup in 2020 and we were hiring people. I mean, it was 20, 25 people a week. It was, it became a game. It was how many, how, how high could that number be? And to me, that just was a really big red flag. Now that company is actually on the list as well. Um, they've had two massive layoffs this year. And so it made me realize that these cracks become chasms without a strong culture. And so as I search for an answer to what's going on now, I'm reminded of the work of Ari Degeus. So Degeus, as I mentioned in the intro, was a Dutch business executive and later became a business theorist who headed Royal Dutch Shell's strategic planning group in the 1980s. He and his team wanted to learn from companies that were older than Shell, which was 100 years or more. Um, now, the average lifespan of a Fortune 500 company is less than 50 years. So let that sink in for a second. Less than 50 years. Yet some companies have been in business for up to 700 years. These are companies like DuPont, WR Grace, Kodak, Sumutomo, Mitsui, and the Hudson Bay Company. Degeus called these companies living companies. He and his team studied the extremes and came up with four shared traits that could explain their longevity. And for me, provide a clue for how to set your own company up for success in this current climate of economic depression. So those four shared traits are conservatism in financing, sensitivity to the world around them, awareness of their own identity, and tolerance of new ideas. These themes have come up often in the podcast that I've recorded with guests. So let's dive in and explore each of those in a bit more detail. Conservatism in financing. This one is a no-brainer. Strong budget responsibility and a sense of seeing the company's money as your own permeated throughout these organizations that they studied. Money in hand allowed these companies to seize opportunities when their competitors could not. This fiscal flexibility allowed them to adapt to the changing economic and market conditions as almost all reinvented themselves repeatedly. They went into different lines of business. They went into different industries. They created new revenue streams. And none of them, you know, up, up to 700 years later, are look like anything like the company that, that first started. So they were constantly able to reinvent themselves. And it was this idea of keeping their powder dry and having money in hand that allowed them to jump on opportunities when they were presented. The second point, sensitivity to the world around them allowed them to see these opportunities. So these companies were good at learning and adapting and creating a culture where teaching was viewed as leading. 
So everyone taught everyone, everyone learned from everyone. There was cultures of mentorship and, and coaching. And as we heard last week on the episode, what an important role mentors can play, these companies were constantly able to adapt and to see the world around them and to understand what was going on and almost have this peripheral vision that could could sense the things that were happening and, and, and help them hone in on those that were important to pay attention to. And this bringing together of people to learn from each other resulted in three big things. Decentralized problem solving, distributed creativity, and bottom-up innovation. And you think about that. The, if you have a team that's grown to 10, 50, 100, 200, 1,000 people, and you've got them all enabled and empowered with the ability to make decisions and, 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 um, and solve problems in a distributed, decentralized, creative way, you are much bigger than the sum of your parts. Um, you've got this bottom-up innovation coming from people that are right on the coalface of customer interaction that are hearing firsthand how the market is responding and are able to make decisions in the moment, which is absolutely critical. The third one, I think, enables and empowers that as well because you've got to be able to trust that people know what is right and what is wrong and, and what factors to take into account when making decisions and so the third point awareness of their identity is key here employees at these companies felt like parts of a whole they felt a sense of belonging and shared a common vision for how the company should sense and respond to factors affecting it from the outside this mirrors the observations of frederick Leloux in what he calls teal organizations I'll probably do a podcast on that in the future, but if you want to dive into it, that's Frederick with a C, Lalu, L-A-L-O-U-X, and, and his work on teal organizations. There's a great HBR article on that. So this is this idea of a common vision and a, a sense of belonging that enables the people within the company to be able to respond almost as if they were the company. Hey, it's your host, Andrew here. I wanted to take a second just to say that if you're enjoying this podcast, we would love it if you did a couple of things for us. If you're watching this on YouTube, please hit that subscribe button. It really allows us to grow the channel and reach a lot more people like you. If you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts, take a moment to leave us a rating and review. It's a great way to give us some feedback and to tell the world what you think about this podcast. So whether you listen to it on YouTube or you're listening to it as a podcast, you take one of those actions it would mean the world to me and my team thank you and with that right back to the show the approach of these living companies to career paths was also quite unique and interesting managers in these companies were chosen mostly from within and all considered themselves stewards of a long-standing enterprise can you imagine the trust and loyalty built up through practices like this I'll come back to the point of stewardship in a little bit, but let's quickly turn our attention to the final one, which was the tolerance of new ideas. So this is the final of the four traits that made these companies that, that separated them as companies that stood the test of time. So tolerance of new ideas was the ability of these companies to recognize that new business may be entirely unrelated to existing business. 
and that starting a business need not be centrally controlled. Now you can see the, the sort of overlap and, and interconnection between a lot of these points here, but this ability for people, the bottoms up innovation for people without, within the company to recognize opportunities, to sense the world around them, to know their own identity and to be able to make creative decisions in the moment, allow them to come up with a lot more of these opportunities, which often spurred or spawned into new businesses and new business lines. And so this culture of experimentation combined with decentralized decision making increased both agility and adaptability. These two characteristics that shine through in all four of these traits. So with that in mind, and let's just recap that we've got conservatism and financing, which is that ability to be able to respond to opportunities when they um, when they present themselves, a sensitivity to the world around them, the ability to sense these opportunities, awareness of their identity, knowing how to filter the opportunities and, and knowing which ones to respond to, and the tolerance of new ideas, not thinking that they know what's right, not getting stuck in their own ways, but being open to new ideas, were the four primary characteristics of these living companies. I want to dive a little bit deeper into the concept of stewardship. If you remember earlier, I said managers in living companies were cho chosen mostly from within. Now, that, that's a key point in and of itself that that culture was, you know, permeating through their veins. So they'd been with a company for a long time and they were moving up in that role. But crucially, all of them considered themselves stewards of a long-standing enterprise. So this got me thinking. What does good stewardship look like? Now, luckily, the research in this book provided some answers. Managers at these companies understood that sustainability meant handing the company over to a successor in at least the same health they received it in. Right. So this, this idea of seeing the company as this resource, this valuable asset, this valuable enterprise, and it has a certain measure of health and wealth in it. And seeing yourself as responsible for that and handing it down to another generation in at least as good, if not better, a condition than you found it in. That's permeated throughout these companies. To hand a company down through generations like that, managers must let people grow within a community. And that community, they found, must be held together by clear values. Now, that's not uh, that point is not isolated to this group. I think the idea of community having clear shared values is, is critical. But seeing employees within companies as a community, I think that's a pretty novel idea and it's something that is given short shrift these days in that it's almost cringy and cheesy in in the way it's been adopted and that uh, that those ideas and you've all heard those companies that you know we're a family and these are my brothers and my sisters and it's it's horrible it's cringy um but there is a there is a truth behind all of it which is this idea of seeing yourself as a community um so this goes far deeper than having values created by the founding team or you know placards printed and placed on the walls or splashed up on the company website with grandiose statements of purpose and mission this is values that are shared values and it reminds me and it brings me to the VASE framework that we have at Curious Lion, which was at the beginning an exploration into a new 
corporate training model for me personally and has now really become a codified framework for us in consulting with our clients. And I'll quickly recap. There are four elements of the VASE framework and they all shared. There's a shared vision, shared assumptions, shared stories, and shared experiences. Now, shared vision is this answer to the question, what will the world look like if we do what we say and we want to do as well as we can possibly do it? Right. And that and it has to be it's a shared vision. It's not something that one person decides. Right. That it's it's a, the sum total of all the personal visions of people in the company. The shared assumptions. So shared visions, the future shared assumptions of the status quo, the current state. What are the beliefs that we hold, the agreed upon truths that we have for how we do things around here? The shared stories are those pictures of the future. And it's part of the it's one of the, the vehicles with shared experiences for carrying a company from its current state to its future state. And so it's these pictures of the future we tell each other to foster genuine commitment and enrollment rather than just compliance. And finally, as I mentioned, the shared experiences is that coming together, that kinetic energy and collective intelligence that forms around a group of people getting together face to face in dialogue about learning. And so for us, that's a critical part of our consulting framework. And it really in reading Ari de Gaius's work, I realized that good stewardship comes down to a shared vision and assumptions carried by shared stories and experiences, exactly as it's reflected in our model. This also manifests as shared values, which another Ari, uh, this is Ari Weinzweig of Zingerman's, the famous deli and, and food emporium, I'd say food enterprise in uh, in Michigan, which so Ari Ari Weinzweig equates uh, shared values to the roots in in his healthy organizational ecosystem. He's basically got this model where he equates all of the components of an organization uh, to an ecosystem. Things like the air, the sun, the water, the roots, um, and the river. I mean, it's it's a fa fascinating framework, and I I highly encourage you to check it out. I think if you just Google Ari Weinzweig, it's W-E-I-N-Z-W-E-I-G, Ari Weinzweig, and Healthy Organizational Ecosystem. You'll get a pretty good picture of, of that. Um, so yeah, so he equates these shared values to roots in this thing, roots of the trees. Um, and technically, it's the exposed roots in, in the ecosystem. So it's the things you can see. It's the it's the explicit versions of the values and roots of a company. Um, the underground roots he calls beliefs, which is kind of makes sense to me. That's like the shared assumptions in our model. And to me, you know, the, the shared assumptions is that deep, deep down layer that people, it's, it's implicit, it's unconscious. Um, the values are those things that people have given names to. And so they're very closely related. Now, the only way to create shared values is for people to adopt them willingly as their own. You can't bestow these upon people, right? And so the only way for that to happen is to value them as people, not assets, loosen control and let them decide, shape a human community. We talked about that and I'll touch on that again a little bit later and cultivate a healthy learning culture. So we're coming to somewhat to the end of this shortish episode and I wanna give you the big takeaway here for me. For me, the big takeaway is that you need to invest in your learning culture, especially in this volatile environment, which is rife with layoffs, 
your learning culture is your ultimate competitive advantage. These days, organizations operate much like libraries. Companies process massive amounts of information and increasingly rely on the ability to organize that information to be successful. A business that relies on information, relies on ideas and experiences vested in people's heads. The route to revenue is not a straight line. Rather, it's a road signposted with tacit tribal knowledge in the heads of your frontline salespeople, product engineers, account managers, etc. You should be thinking about how to turn this tacit knowledge into explicit knowledge. To create a sense of trust that people will use this information wisely, in other words, apply it sensibly and share it broadly, some elements of reciprocity must exist. This motivates the shift we discussed earlier from viewing people as assets to viewing them as members. People who think of themselves as members have far more of an interest in the future of the business. Membership would replace a sense of belonging to a place with a sense of belonging to a community. A sense of belonging is something humans need if they're going to commit themselves to more than just simple selfishness. A sense of belonging is something managers need if they're going to hand the company over to a successor in at least the same health they received it in. That's what good stewardship looks like. I hope you enjoyed this episode. This is an experiment that we will continue to do if you enjoyed this. So if you did, please let us know. Send us an email to info at curiouslionlearning.com or if you have something specific that this made you think about and you want to talk to me directly, send it to me. Andrew at CuriousLionLearning.com. I really enjoy talking about this and I want to hear how this made you feel, what this made you think about. Um, if you really did enjoy this and you want to support the show, please take a moment just to go onto the podcast player that you're listening to this on and give us a rating and review. It really means a lot and helps us get the word out to more and more people. I will be back with another one of these episodes soon, as well as a host of new guests that we're lining up. So stay tuned and we'll see you next week. Hello, hello. I hope you enjoyed that episode. It's Andrew again with a quick message. If you'd like to support the show, the best way to do that is to leave us ratings and reviews where you listen. If you're on YouTube, hit the like and subscribe buttons and feel free to leave a comment. We love hearing from our listeners and viewers. If you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts, please take the time to give us a rating and leave a review. Once again, we love hearing from our loyal listeners. If you're listening to this on Spotify, please hit the follow button to make sure that you don't miss new episodes as they come out. See you next week for another episode of the Learning Culture Podcast. Thank you for listening.